been great so far. Praise God. I, I sing aloud, but I can't hear myself, so I could sing whatever notes I want, you know. And it's loud, and it's good, so I, I'm really encouraged by you. I mean, to see so many of you here and uh, just supporting and be part of the church is an incredible thing. Uh, it's so good, as Tim said, to say good morning, and not good afternoon, good morning. <clears throat> and we'll have some more opportunities to fellowship with one another. It's great. It's awesome. And it's our privilege uh, to minister to you with the Word of God. We're little people. We're small people. We're broken people. We are preachers of the truth that needs the truth first. And I hope one of the experiences that you went through in this period of between the churches, so to speak, that you have found a companion like never before in your Bible. That the Bible became a tool, a support, a pillar, a great helper in a time of need. And that you have spent with it a lot of time. We were void of many opportunity to fellowship with one another, but we were prone to fellowship with the Word of God. And I could testify <clears throat> that it is a great privilege for me to spend time with the Word of God on my own, with my own family. Not just to wait for the body to explain the text. <clears throat> I have to explain, um, excuse me. Something's wrong with my voice. <clears throat> well, this morning we're studying or continue a series on the purposes, God's purposes for our life. And one of the one of the most important things to consider what is the church? What's the purpose of God for the church? I remember when I was young, about 16 years old, <clears throat> I lived on my own. Well, with support of mom and dad. And I was taking a trip on the, on the train, going back to my family. And there's a bought the ticket, just jump in on the train. Only to figure out after maybe a couple of hours that I'm going the wrong direction. There's a wrong train. It's embarrassing, but sometimes people join the church like that. They just jump on the bandwagon thinking that they're going somewhere but they're going opposite direction. So we need to figure out what's, what is the church? <clears throat> Why church is so important for us? I just read from Spurgeon, he says, some go to church to take a walk, some go there to laugh and, and talk, some go there to meet a friend, some go there, time to spend, some go there to meet a lover, some go there, a fault to cover, some go there to speculation, for speculation. Some go there for observation. Some go there to doz and nod. The wise go there to worship God. Especially in this congregation right here, if you drop your head, you know, everybody hears like, boom, right? So please be attentive. <clears throat> so our text for today would be primarily, not limited to, primarily 1 Timothy 3, 14 to 16. So you find your way there. And we basically go over three things. 
Number one, the importance of the church. Number two, the security of the church. And number three, the duty of the church. All of them super, super uh, important. For we need to know, like, what are, we, what are we here to do? What's the church for? Uh, it's, it's one thing to find yourself in the church, another thing to kind of think through what is the purpose for God's church. So let's just read <clears throat> First Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. Paul writes, he says, I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed, I write to you so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. <clears throat> By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This is the reading God's word, so let's pray. Father, we thank you. We commit ourselves to you for this time, short time of study of the word of God, and we'll look at, at the purpose of the church, and we need your guidance and help. We would be totally lost, completely lost in a fog, where are we in regards to our purpose? But you're kind enough to provide clear text of the scripture and enlighten us in the spirit of God to understand and to fulfill our duty with joy, knowing that this is what you want from us. Bless us, Lord, to follow your commandments, follow in obedience, and just do it clearly with understanding and not to be mis led by any sort of teachings or by any sort of agendas that someone has for the church. You have agenda for your church and we want to submit to that and praise you, Father. Make it clear, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so we're not going to look at all three verses even today. Our main, main verse is verse 15, where we will see those three things, the importance, the, the security, and the duty, and with other passages. But as the progression of, of this text, the number one thing that Paul is so concerned about Timothy that he would know how to conduct himself in the church. This is very important for Paul. Now, he's at the end of the line, at the end of his, his life. He's going to write one more book, Second Timothy. But he already set the tone that the church is very important. Church is great entity on the earth and you are part of the church I want you to know if I delay if I delay in any way I want you to know the importance of the church and the importance of the conduct in the church what is church and what your church is for and then he says he's really saying that the, the purpose of the church is really clear it is the house call of God that is the pillar and support of the truth that's what we'll do the pillar of support of the truth. We are upholding the truth, simply. And then he tells us what the truth is. In verse 16, he says that the truth is, is about Jesus. Jesus is the truth. And you as the church, and as the minister of the church, you have to conduct yourself in appropriate ways so that you would lift up Jesus everywhere you are. And that is your main 
purpose. Now, just a few observations. So, as we go to church importance, we need to define what church is. And church is, in Greek word, it's really simple word, ekklesia, meaning that called out. People who were called out out of what? The Bible tells us out of darkness, out of the dominion of Satan, you were called out. Now, today, understand who are you people. You are people of God who were called out from the darkness, dominion of Satan, into one body. That is exciting. That is exciting to see the importance of the church and God taking the time, sending his son to die for his church, to call them out. And he called them out by the word of God, through the spirit of God, say, come out. And he brought us out. We know this. We know that the church is not just a building or denomination. It's people. People are more than just statistics. We're not concerned about how many people in the church, about the quality of people. These are the people that qualified by God, but being redeemed by Christ, sent, called out into the body of Christ for a specific purpose. And we need to understand the importance and the value of the church to which we belong. Boy, we paid for a great price to understand that church is more than just a building, right? Paid a great price. But we know, we understand, church is people, people of God. And church is a unique organism in God's eyes, and therefore Jesus came to save it. Now, just a history about the church and what the constitute of the church. For instance, in 1530, Melanchthon is the one who, helper of Martin Luther, he's the one who wrote a lot more than Luther. Uh, he's a scholar. In his articles, when he drew Augsburg Confession of Faith, he says, this church is the congregation of the saints in which the gospel is rightly thought and the sacraments are rightly administered and for the true unity of the church, it is enough to have unity of belief concerning the teaching of the gospel and the administration of the sacraments. John Calvin in his Institute of Christian Religion wrote, whatever we see the word of God purely preached and heard and the sacraments administered according to Christ's institution, there is not to be doubted a church of God exists. So the church of God is called out people for his own purposes, redeemed by Christ's blood. And it's interesting how we underappreciate the church in our day and age. Even us and people around us uh, really breathe familiarity with the church. We think that we belong to some kind of club, right? We belong to Sam's Club. Costco club, right? And this is great clubs. And we belong to church also. We have this, this membership there. It, it's just so radically different than anything that we belong to. It's amazingly different. And, and like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I don't know if you know him. He was one of the uh, leader pastor in Germany, Nazi Germany. And he was executed because uh, he was spoke, uh, clearly spoken about Hitler. But he wrote this. He said, to Protestant has the sound of something infinitely commonplace, more or less indifferent and superfluous, that does not make their heart beat faster, something with which a sense of boredom is often associated. 
Unfortunately, this is how many Christians view the church. We just belong to some kind of organization. Well, this church, that church. You belong to a greatest organization on earth, paid by the blood of Christ for the purposes of God. And there's no comparison to any other organization. Therefore, church attendance is so low. Pew has a new survey about the way people choose their congregations and attend services. And according to the survey, about one-fifth of Americans now go to religious services few times a year, but say they used to go a lot more. Roughly half of this group stop going as often, stop going as often because of what the researchers called practical issues. They're too busy, they're too lazy, they're busy work schedule, and describe themselves as just lazy to go. Others said they just don't care about attending services as much as going other thing. Now, granted, going to church services doesn't mean that you belong to church. But if you belong to church, you would want to go to church services. So it is impossible to overstate the importance of the church in the internal plan, eternal plan of God. If we look in the scripture, we will see that Christ wants to rebuild our love and appreciation for the church as he has it for the church. And belonging, uh, being Christian outside of the body, outside of this ecclesia, outside of this called out ones, it's hard to imagine. Thomas Auden said, to choose to live without the grace offered in the church is like a baby refusing nourishments from the mother's breast. Calvin added, to his voice that the church is the, in a sense, a chief external support of our faith and mother of us all. Now, of course, we're different from Catholic view of the church, but nevertheless, we belong to the body. We belong to a very special, very special organism. So, church is very important. We belong to a very specific and special, special body of Christ. And by the way, church is the primary arena God has chosen to make his redemptive plan visible. This is where he shows his love. This is where he pour out his kindness, his mercy in the church in a very special way. He loves everyone for sure, but in the church it's very, very special. Now, before we're going to go what the duty of the church is, so we need to understand the importance of the church in God's eyes. The second thing, we need to understand how secure and how God view us and how he securely holds the church, that nothing would go wrong with it before we would understand what should we do. You need to understand to what you belong and how secure that organization or that organism is before we would be told what to do. Too often we jump, like, what should I do? Well, who do you belong to? What, you, what are you capable of? What's your credentials? How secure you are in what you do? We don't just take everybody to the job by just, you know, saying that I want to work. So before we go there, we need to see the, what's the security of the church. And I have whole 25 minutes to go through the rest of the pages. Church security. Now, in our text, 1 Timothy 3, 15, we find here the security, number one, in the belonging of God. Number one. 
Verse 15 says, in case I am delayed, I write to, so that you will know how one to conduct himself. And before he goes and tells us, and explicitly in all of this, he said, in a household of God. Number one, you have to know that we belong and we are the household of God. Whose church it is? It's God's church. It's a household of God. It's genitive possession. This is he who possesses the church. We belong to him. This might be the most important lesson that we learn today, that we belong to God and not to other people. It is not my church. It is not your church. It is not anybody's church. We could hire another pastor. It's not his church. It is God's church because it says the household of God. The household of God. And this is a great hope for us and great security for us know to whom we belong we're going with our family through new city catechism and the first question in that catechism is this what is our hope in life and death what is our hope belonging to anything what is our hope in being someone what is our hope in life and death and the answer is profound our only hope in life and in death that we belong body and soul to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is our only hope. Our only hope for anything, for success, for any success and for any existence is that we belong to someone. And that's what Paul says is the household of God. That's what the church is. You belong to someone and you belong to God. You know this picture here about the household of God, meaning the house of God. It's not referring to a family, which is also true. We belong to family of God. We're adopted. But the picture is that you are the temple of the holy God. And the reference with the Old Testament, New Testament is, is great because in Old Testament, God chose to live in his house in a temple, in a tabernacle, and said, this is my house, and it's according to my rules, and I will take care of you because I dwell among you. And so we know that in Jesus Christ, we have this presence among us. But he said, you are the household of God. You, plurally you. In 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, do you, plural, not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? The picture is there that you are a household of God where God presently and actively lives and among all people that are important here today, there's one, is Christ Jesus in his spirit. And he's here. That's his household. We're not just a temple. We're not just a building. We're not just the statistics. We're the people of God where God dwells. God's residency is in the church. And the main idea here that we belong to God's household where he presently and actively dwells. MacArthur, in his master plan for the church, he writes this, the collective body of called out ones, a people for his name, from every tribe and people and tongues and nations, would form a living temple for the Holy Spirit becoming the very dwelling place of God. Now, is that, if that doesn't excite you, belonging to God and that he's presently here, I don't know what will. 
One day, several, several years ago, a phone rang in the, in the rector's office of the church in Washington, D.C., where the president sometimes attended. An eager voice said, do you expect the president to be there on Sunday? The rector replied, that I cannot promise, but we do expect God, and we fancy it will be incentive enough for a reasonably large attendance. When you come to church or collectively body, what excites you? that God is here and we belong to him. That is our only hope. Now, Bible tells us, and, and Paul tells us here, that this God who is dwelling among us, he is living God. He is living God. It says church is where the living God dwells. And the living God makes the church living, which is the church of the living God. He specifies what kind of God we worship. He is a living and active God, the spiritual life that we possess, it's the, it's the reaction of the presence of God. The church is the, is the place where living God dwells, not the temple of the dead idols. And again, there's a, there's a picture between the dead idols, worshiper of dead idols with the dead temples, with the church, the temple of God. Paul is writing to Timothy, who's in Ephesus. And there's a great, great, the, one of the seven wonders of the world, the temple of Diana. And they, they, they immediately, the Timothy and people who are in Ephesus, they, they see that, that that's the picture he makes contrast with. And there's a great pillars, and you could see them from the way outside but they worship a dead person. And it's a dead religion. Muslims today, they celebrate the Ramadan and millions of people who go to Mecca to worship Allah who is not real and the prophet Muhammad who is dead. Jeremiah 10, 10, 10 says, the Lord is the true God and the God who is truth. He is the living God and the everlasting King. Now remember, you belong to the congregation called out for a very special purposes, which we touch on in a second. But our security to do anything successful, it is because the living God is among us. That is our hope. That is our hope. The point is here that God provides a spiritual relationship because God being God and he's at work in the church. That's what we see in Revelation 1. Jesus is walking among his churches. And he says, John says, And I turned and to see the voice that was speaking with me. In heaven turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the mid middle of the lampstands, I saw one, like a son of man. In his right hand, he had seven stars. And out of his mouth came sharp, two-edged sword. And his face was like a sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell on, his, on, our, on my feet and like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. And I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death of Hades. We belong to a living God. The second security comes in from our understanding that Christ builds the church. 
Christ builds the church. Very familiar passage in Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I built my church. I built my church. I remember I read the story about John MacArthur who was interviewed by the reporter and the reporter said, how is it always that you want to build a large church? And he said, well, I don't want to build a church at all. It's like, what do you mean? He said, Christ builds the church and I don't want to be competition to him. It is not we build the church. We don't build the church. We don't bring the kingdom. We don't build the kingdom. We are submitting to God who builds the church. Our growth of the church is not ours. We don't have the tricks and the manipulation and the statistic, whatever. We don't have brain enough to build the church. Christ does, and I'm so glad because I'm definitely not smart enough to figure out all of you and what to please you with to make you grow. I can't even make the trees in my backyard grow. Christ builds the church, and Christ said, when I build the church, I build it so strong that the gates of Hades would not overpower it. When he builds it, nothing and no one could overpower it. The, Hades of, uh, the gate of Hades is a Jewish expression of death. This is the strongest thing that we face. Well, we could battle the cancer, right? We could, we could have our, you know, fix our cold or just go through many, many things, but nobody, nobody could beat, beat death. At some point, you will die. And Jesus said, listen, I built my church so that the death would not have no power over it. Christ has broken the power of gates. So this is a great security for us. We belong to a grace institution that God is among us and we belong to him and who is fighting and protecting the church. And we need to understand that, that he is the Alpha and the Omega and not us. He is the builder of the church and he is defender. Notice that Christ doesn't promise us prosperity and another building and fat account and that we live long and happily ever after. He says, my church would go on and it's eternal. We are the church of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, church is built on Christ himself. I know we deviated from our passage, but the church, we need to have this understanding. The church is built on Christ himself. And 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no one can lay another foundation. No one. That no one would lay already, which is Christ Jesus. Other than, than uh, the laid already, Christ Jesus. No one should lay any other foundation. Please don't. Because that would be a, a horrible enterprise. We built on Christ he is our stone that was rejected by man and chosen by God, precious to God, so that he would be building the temple from the living stones. And therefore, Christ is unshapeable, foundation for the church. Listen, our churches are strong as our foundation. The moment we deviate from Christ, we on the sinking ground, we will fail for sure. How secure is your life is how secure you stand in faith in Jesus Christ. That is all. And if you stand on Christ Jesus and the grace hill stands on Christ Jesus in his word, we will be unshakable for sure. 
Christ take it seriously when he builds the church. Remember when Saul was persecuted in the church, Jesus took it very personally. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Church is loved by Christ. Number four, as husband, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself off for. Our security is not that the elders would love you. We want to. Our, our security is not that you would love us or you would love one another. That's not our security. This is how we're going to stand and we're going to love one another like crazy. Our security is that Christ loved us and he loves us the same and forever. I personally love the church. I really love the church. I, I love to be part of the church. I've, I've been in many enterprises, but nothing, nothing thrills me and excites me as the building, to be partaker of building God's church, generally participating in, in God's work in your lives. My grandfather was the first Protestant pastor, but it's not us. It's not our love for the church that sustained the church or make it really strong. It is a Christ church for the church. It's not our love that we keep people in the church of Christ is Christ. And Christ proved it. He said, I paid for the church. In Acts 20, verse 28 says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers for to shepherd the flock the church of God, which is purchased with his own blood. Church is precious in God's eyes. He protects it. He's building it, and he's loving it, and he rules over it. He rules over it. It's not the, the elder's rule. It's Christ's rule, and we need to understand it. Like the husband is the head of the wife, Christ also is the head of the church, for he himself being the savior of the body. He called the head of the church. He is the ruler. He is the king of the people. That means he's authority that has no rivals. And Christ is the one who would shepherd the church ultimately. We read First Peter 5, Christ is shepherd. Now, all this is just a preliminary to see what is our duty. And, and we, are we standing in security? Are we going to succeed in what God calls us to do? And I think we will. If we understand what the church is and who is, whose church is and who builds the church and who protects the church, who loves the church, then we will succeed. And so we turn into duty of the church. That's what Paul is asking him. He said, verse 15, 1 Timothy, but in case I'm delayed, I write so that you would know your duty. What is your duty in the church? As a minister of the church and as the church, and he clearly defines a many, many definitions. I mean, you could read books and books and books. What's the purpose of the church? Purpose-driven life. Mark Dever. Everyone, and they have, you know, good stuff and good, good things. And it basically, every, uh, every legit and very conservative uh, writer and commentator would say, would agree that there are some non-negotiable for the church. And those are three non-negotiable of the church. This is what church should do every time and all the time. Number one, evangelize the world. Number two, edify God's people. And number three, exalt God. Mark Dever summarized this this way. The proper ends for a local congregation life and action are the worship of God 
edification of the church and evangelizing the world. Three things. I just flipped them around. To local, the local church exists to glorify God through worshiping him, edifying his people, and evangelizing the world. Now I put, and this is how we're going to go for the next couple of Sundays, I put worship of God at the very bottom because it's actually the end goal. This is what very important. This is what penetrates the church, but this is always going to be there, and we'll get there. John Piper, to that extent, he said, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Is not. Worship is. Mission exists because worship doesn't. That's why we need to have missions. But in heaven, we will only have worship. And there's many ways how we could take it, but the duty of the church, and if you hear with me in 1 Timothy 15, 3.15, it says clearly, the penetrating, anything that we do, there's a priority of the church existence, and it is proclamation of the truth. That's number one. And penetrate everything we do. When we worship God, we proclaim God. We ascribe Him glory. We pray through the scripture, His word. We are reading His word. We sing His word. We consult with His word. We are worshiping God with His word. The proclamation and the foundation of God's word is, is super important. When we edify God's people, what do we use? We use the truth, and that is it. And we need to know what the truth is. And when we evangelize the world, we better preach the truth and nothing but the truth. So I think those are all great, but underlying things, and what Paul is getting here, that the church is the household of God, the living God, it belongs to the living God, it is the pillar and support of the truth. So what is our primary duty in all things that we do? God grant us mercy and kindness to be supporter and upholders, defenders of his truth. That's what he wants the church to do. Above everything what we do, we must know and uphold the truth from the scripture not deviating, otherwise we'll step into programs, into other activities that is not really beneficial. And so for the rest of our remaining six minutes, I wanna go through this priority of the truth. Like how MacArthur's identify, he's, he's saying the basic task of the church is to teach sound doctrine. It is not to give one pastor's opinion, to recite tear-jerking illustrations that play on emotions, to raise, fund, raise funds, to present programs and entertainment, or to give weekly devotionals. He says in Titus 2.1, Paul writes, but as for you speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrines. Church has been entrusted by the authority of God to proclaim God's truth so that we won't deviate it from it right and left. So that's what Paul is asking Timothy. He said, I'm going away. The only thing that you have, legit and secure and infallible and inspired, is not your sermons. It is the Word of God. That is it. The rest of this stuff is just fallible, weak, and not as important. Every activity that you would, you would do, you would want to help people, support the poor, you know, do the social justice, all this great, make sure first and primary, that you uphold this truth like the pillar 
and hold it very high so that everyone would see, and this truth is about Jesus Christ, don't deviate from that. That is, I think, the most vivid and most fundamental definition of what church is. It says, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. Imagine what is, the, what is the responsibility for us. We don't create the truth. We don't even affirm the truth. We, don't, we just discover it. And when God dis- made the discovery in our hearts, he said, listen, this is what you do. And he uses two words. Number one, pillar, meaning that making the proclamation visible. The pillar, like in, in Temple of Diana, you would be great pillar of rock. But the pillar itself is not that important. Whatever on the pillar, and the name was on the pillar, the temple of Diana, the name is important. The truth is important. So we are maybe thinking that we're super important God's plan because we're the pillar, but our job is not to draw attention to ourselves, but draw attention to the name of God so that everybody would see. The word here for pillar is stulos, meaning that as your, as your chair has four legs, nobody sits on the chair and just impress are those beauty of those poles, right? The most important thing that you think that is going to hold you up, that's all, you care. So how beauty, how eloquent, that is a secondary thing. How firmly you do the job that God told you to do. The second word, he says foundation. Foundation. The foundation, not in the same sense as God is foundation as the floor, but foundation meaning here as the support. Like for instance, wife could be a foundation in the sense to his husband. It's not that he is, she is upholding him all the time, but she supports him. When he leans somewhere right or left, she said, honey, you know, we should, I think we should, we should not do that. It's she's supporting him in the truth. The church is the one who is not defining what the truth is, but the church is supporting the truth and provide the support in this fallible and dark place telling what the truth actually is. The apostles were foundation in that sense, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ himself is a cornerstone, but we're supporters. Church rests on the truth of Christ, but also supports the truth of Christ. And it's interesting that he describes what the truth is in verse 16. By the common confession, the truth is the mystery of godliness of Jesus Christ. And that's the gospel. That is the gospel. The church is charged to primarily do fundamentally one thing to uphold the truth of the gospel. Our churches in America are big in marketing, use of technology inside and outside. But the strength of the church is not in technology. It is how firmly we devote ourselves to upholding God's truth. So supreme mission of the church is to uphold and precious legacy of God's word about Christ, his life and his death and resurrection of his son. This is the truth that we must stand strong on and hold on and lift up. 
churches to uphold God's revelation about Jesus in season and out of season, when it's convenient and not convenient, when it's in our advantage or disadvantage, we must preach Christ. I like how Graham Machen, many of you took Greek from his book. In 1933, he wrote, wrote these words about the duty and responsibility of the church. He says, in the first place, a true Christian church, now as always, will be radically doctrinal. It will never use this uh, shibboleth of a programmist skepticism. It will never say that doctrine is the expression of experience. It will never confuse the useful with the true, but would place truth at the basis of all its striving and all its life. Into the welter of changing human opinion, into the modern despair with regard to any knowledge of meaning of life. It will come with a clear and precious message. The message it will find in the Bible, which would hold to contain not a record of man's religious experience, but a record of revelation from God. So, do we say that church never should engage in any social activities, never defending of the justice? No, we don't say that. But it's not our primary duty. We could get sidetracked really quickly. There's so many poor around us and we should help and love them. There's so many poor in Africa that we could devote all our time going there and support them financially. The manifestation of, of, of God was revealed in Jesus. That was his primary duty. He came to reveal Father. And then for those who, who, whom he died, he would, they would understand who Father is. For us, the same thing. We reveal in the Christ. Manifestation of the King. We won't fix this world. Church is not the place and the entity that fixes this place. We're not bringing the kingdom of God here. For sure we're not. We're not the solution for all social, economical, political problems. No matter how engaged we are, we still have problems. And if all the churches get together, we won't bring the closer, one inch, the kingdom of God. We can't. It is not our job. It is not our job. It is not our duty. In Isaiah 64, 65, God said that I will create new heaven, new earth. I will bring the kingdom. I will rule. It's not the church job. What's church job? To devote ourselves to the scripture, to preach Jesus. Now, it's going to cost us things and helping people, but our primary job is to bring Jesus and explain him and uphold his truth and never deviate. Check this out. We have ministry of reconciliation. We've been given a ministry of reconciliation, and we implore people to reconcile, but we're not partners with Christ, help people reconcile and pay for them. We're not. We're just proclaimers. We say we beg on account of Jesus who paid for you, please reconcile with him. Reconcile with God. We don't add anything. We have the ministry of preaching of the gospel. We're not partnering with Jesus to pay for the gospel, to pay for the salvation. 
We proclaim the love of God, but it's not our love that brings people to salvation. We're proclaimers of God's love. Yes, we reflect on it, but our job is to proclaim. We prom promise eternal life, but it's not our life. We didn't work for the life. We're just offering someone else's life, and we proclaim. We uphold the truth. So we must understand our duty is rooted in the Word of God, upholding Christ. Christ is everything. And if the church doesn't do the job of upholding the truth, it is useless. It is useless. You can imagine your faucet is broken in your house. You called a plumber. He comes in. He forgot his name. He forgot that he's a plumber. He sits at your couch and watches TV. But what kind of plumber are you? You would probably ask him to leave and fire the one who knows what to do, right? If God calls the church to proclaim and manifest Jesus and uphold his word and the church forgets and do the bunch of other stuff that are lesser important than we are useless for God, Now, that's what happened at Reformation. People forgot the gospel. Proclamation of the gospel did a lot of other things and bad things. But let me ask you, in conclusion, several questions. Why Paul said to Corinthians, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why Paul said also, may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Why Paul was rejoicing even when Christ was preached from wrong motives? Why Paul regarded as the highest honor to be entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ? He says in 1 Timothy, I thank Jesus Christ our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Why is this Paul the highest concern for Timothy? He said, regard the truth, Timothy. Guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatters and opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. Why Paul solemnly charged Timothy in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure the sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ear tickles, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Why? Because Paul understood the mission and the priority of the church. Preach and explain Jesus. I'll finish with Machen. The responsibility of the church in the new age is the same as responsibility in every age. It is to testify that this world is lost in sin, that we spend our human life, no, all the length of human history, is in a tiny island in the awful depths of eternity. That there is a mysterious, holy, living God, creator of all, upholder of all, infinitely beyond all, that he has revealed himself to us in his word, that there is no other salvation for individuals 
or for nations. Save this, but this is the salvation is full and free, and that whosoever possesses it has for himself a treasure compared with which all the knowledge of the earth, no, all the wonders, all the starry heavens are as the dust of the street. An unpopular message it is, an impractical message we are told, but it is the message of the Christian church. Neglect it and you will, be, will have destruction. Heed to it and you will have life. Father, we thank you for an incredible privilege to be entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We didn't pay for it. We didn't seek it. We didn't compile it. Our job is to proclaim the truth and to live the truth. Help us to do it in love and kindness, but help us never deviate from the truth of Christ. In his name we pray, amen.